0: because I'm, I'm just one person who was in a company that was being reorganized and you're gonna get laid off. And so I have a choice, right? I could either just wait for the ax to fall, hand my two-page resume to a recruiter and hope I get another job. And that's what most people do. But instead, I was working on some things that I found interesting. I made those visible. I purposely tried to build relationships with people inside and outside my company. And the day after I left my company, I was working with Bosch. Welcome to another episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. Each week, we bring you an inspiring guest to help you discover the new world of work and learn how your organization can reach its full potential. Thank you for tuning in and spending some time with us today. To find out more about the Work Life Hub, please go to www.worklifehub.com.
1: Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Hub podcast. This is your host, Agnes, and today my guest is John Stepper, joining me from New York. Hi, John.
0: Hi, Agnes. Thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you for, for being with us today. It's such a pleasure. Um, let me quickly introduce you and then I'll hand over to you. So John is a computer scientist, but most importantly, he's the creator of the working out loud approach, which will be the focus of our conversation today. Having worked in some of the largest financial institutions in the world, a career changing moment led John to the next step in his work and mission a couple of years ago. Um, as one of the keynote speakers at the 2018 Zukunft Personal Europe Fair and Conference in Cologne in September, It is my absolute privilege to interview John for this podcast. And I wanted to start with introducing also a quote that you mentioned in your TED talk. It's, working out loud is an approach leading to the purposeful discovery of opportunities. And its combined elements are like a superpower. A lot of people don't know that they have it or are not comfortable using it. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation telling listeners a little bit more about this superpower that they have but before we get there may I ask you John to tell listeners about yourself your passion your work and what gets you up in the morning
0: (laughs) well thank you I I haven't been called a computer scientist since probably 1987 but thank you very much for that I the reason I do what I do my 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 mission, my ikigai, if if you're familiar with that Japanese word, the reason to get up in the morning, is, is to help people realize more of themselves, right? more of their potential. Now, for some people, that, that may just be a small step. Maybe they're just a bit more open and curious to the things around them. Their world's a little bit bigger. For others, it may mean that... that that they're more effective that they're able to do things that they just didn't didn't imagine they might be able to do and for other people they just feel better they feel like they've got a bit more control over what's happening in their work and their life and if if we could do that if we could change how people relate to each other to themselves to the work that they do it makes for a more effective but also a a better, kinder, more human workplace. And that's my, my mission, to help people one individual at a time, one working out loud circle at a time, and then collectively one company or organization at a time.
1: That's fantastic. So we're going to be touching a little bit later on on some of the companies that you're working with, surprising companies, actually, companies you wouldn't necessarily think that they would be open, for this kind of uh, approach. But before we do that, uh, may I ask you to tell listeners about what is working out loud? I guess everybody who hears this term may have an idea, um, but, but what is it really? And, and what kind of shifts can be achieved by applying it?
0: Okay. So to be clear, it, it it's really nothing new. This is ancient wisdom that... It's to your benefit to build relationships, to build a network, because it's via other people that you have access to ideas, opportunities, to other resources. So in many ways, this is just a method to help you build those relationships, relationships that matter, that can help you in some way. Explore a topic, get better at what you do, uh, discover other possibilities. If there's something new, how do you actually practice it? How do you develop a set of habits, a set of behaviors, a mindset that that helps you build relationships that matter, that help you become more effective, more connected, that helps you increase the odds, again, in your work and life that you come into contact with things that can help you with new opportunities. So working out loud as a topic is just a modern way to reach people and build relations that relationships that can help you in some way. And then the method, the working out loud circles, is a structured approach to doing that.
1: Would you say that um I like really enjoyed this reference that you say that this is something that was has been there and, and, and people have done things this way. Um have we unlearned it and it's now time that we need to relearn this?
0: Yes and no. I mean, you know, on the one hand, it's kind of like like diet and exercise in that everybody knows that eating right and exercising is good for them. But it's hard to put it into practice. It's hard to develop the set of habits. And the same is true for meaningful relationships. Of course, you know that if you had a broad and diverse network, that you would be more effective, that you'd have access to things that other people don't have access to. But that takes, that takes practice over time. Those, those people skills that we talk about so loosely are actually learnable skills that take time and effort, uh, that take practice. And most people just don't have the time and attention to do that. Now in companies, in companies, it's even a bit more challenging because of the way we've organized for the last hundred years. When you carve up a company into boxes. It, it reinforces kind of the worst of us, right? It reinforces that there's an us and them. It reinforces that you've got a place in the hierarchy, and it leads to compass competition, to competing for status, etc. So, um, org charts aren't bad. They're not going away anytime soon. But it can be even more challenging in companies to be yourself and build meaningful relationships. And I think. The shift now is that companies are recognizing it's better for the individual and better for the firm if we undo some of that. Mm.
1: And what are these elements? The five elements that you have identified as the as the key components of this method.
0: What I didn't want working out to be. Let's to back up a little bit. What I realized was, I gave I gave talks about social internet and, and working out loud and building relationships till I was blue in the face, it didn't change anything. It's, it's behavior that matters and you don't change behavior just by you know, giving a talk with some PowerPoint slides. So what is it that would help people actually practice this, that would help people develop these skills? And it's not a set of tricks like, oh, here's how you write your email subject, right? Or here's how you shake hands or your, your body presence. or I mean, those are all fine, but they're just techniques. What I wanted to create was something a bit more comprehensive than that, more of a, a mindset and a set of habits. So the five elements of this. First, at the heart of working out our are relationships. Relationships are number one because it's via other people that we access ideas, knowledge, resources, and we've known that for a long time or since the strength of weak ties in 1973 uh, studied social networks for pretty much the first time. Now, we've also known for a long time that the way to build meaningful relationships is through contributions over time, through generosity. Now, Now, that's not that's not naive. It's it's a collaboration and cooperation strategy that has evolved over millions of years. It is not a dog-eat-dog dog world. It is not every man for himself. Those are alligators, right? Those are, those, are, those are beings that have existed for hundreds of millions of years. For humans and many mammals, we've developed pro-social behaviors so that there's a natural give and take between people who feel related and it's for the good of the group. Everybody wins. That is a very human mm. strategy that evolution has proven to be the most successful. When it comes to generosity, well, what do you contribute? Well, sometimes it's, it's the simple things, it's the universal things like attention and appreciation. Those are the things that everybody wants and everybody has to offer. But it also includes the third element, visible work, which is where people are not used to this, sharing what they're working on, why, Who's been helpful? What have they learned? It's not to be popular. It's not to be famous. It's not to show how awesome you are. It's to be helpful and not to everybody, but to other people like you. And when you do that, that's part of giving and taking that builds trust and a sense of relatedness. Last two elements are purposeful discovery and a growth mindset. And purposeful discovery means that you've got some kind of goal in mind. It doesn't have to be your big special purpose, but it's you want to know more people who do what you do inside and, out the com- inside and outside the company. You want to explore a new topic or opportunity or learn about something you're interested in. Those kinds of goals orient your activity. Who's you're trying to build relationships with, what kind of contributions you might make. And a growth mindset is based on work by Carol Dweck uh, at Columbia. It's, it's simply this idea that you don't have this fixed view of yourself or other people. I'm good or bad at this, she's good or bad at that. It, it's, it's about effort and learning, right? And, and that, that allows you, that frees you to take small steps, experiment, and it's all about feedback and learning. And what I love about that last element is that that, that idea of developing not being born with, developing a growth mindset. Uh, I saw that in the halls at Daimler, and I saw it in the halls at my son's elementary school. Like, it's such a fundamental thing that humans can learn, but we're not necessarily born with.
1: Or or the education system, the way it is set up is, is also about Picking out your mistakes, uh, you know, giving you grades based on the things you got wrong. So a little bit fixing you also on this. Um,
0: it it sounds know. like work. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this, this idea. That's, that's right. of, yeah.
0: It, it sounds like and it, the, the parallels between the two, I'm sure, are no coincidence. right? Because it's really only the last 30 years that we're figuring out what makes people do what they do. And it's not, it's not grades and and it's not punishment, it's helping them develop this kind of mindset that leads to more experimentation, to curiosity, to outreach. And that leads to both more innovation and, and reducing duplication of effort and mistakes, but also to personal fulfillment.
1: Now your book, working out loud for a better career and life it came out in 2015 and so then if i understand correctly you thought okay i need to um, make it very concrete and tangible and then you created these working out loud circles so how do they work and and perhaps if you have a um an example of a company as I said in the intro, that has applied this. Perhaps companies we didn't think of as being so open or innovative or, or touchy-feely, <laughs> who, who have uh, who have said yes, let's embrace this and this is what we need.
0: I've been experimenting with this over the last ten years, and like I said, I would, you know, I started with evangelizing and talks and trying to inspire people, um, and it doesn't it doesn't lead to much change. Uh, so I did a lot of research on behavior change and including experiments on myself, trying to change my own habits, my own behaviors. And what it boils down to are two things. One, if you wanna change your behavior, it takes deliberate practice over time. That means there's an element of repetition, so you're, you're trying things and you're getting feedback along the way, right? In some form, deliberate practice over time. There's just no substitute for that. Whether you're learning piano or learning how to build relationships that matter. And the second component is peer support. You don't have to have it, but it greatly increases the odds because it gives you structure, shared accountability, and emotional and other support to go through the natural ups and downs of any change process so that you can make it through the weeks or even months that you need of deliberate practice. And we put those two ideas together, this idea of guided mastery or deliberate practice over time, small steps over time with peer support and we form these working out loud circles. That's a group of four or five people who meet for an hour a week for 12 weeks and there are instructions each week that help you take a step. So whatever your goal is, you pick a goal, you list people related to it that might help you in some way And over the 12 weeks, you learn by doing. You build a network related to a goal you care about by making contributions over time, week by week by week. Different kinds of contributions, different kinds of channels, email, in-person, social networks. But by the end, you've got a bigger network, better communication skills, and you're more comfortable with some of the modern ways to reach and engage people.
1: That's excellent. And also just telling listeners that the first ever working out loud circle selfie is also on your website and I think that's a a really lovely touch to to see these people and so how what are some typical goals and 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 why so people would maybe think let me pay a little play a little bit of a devil's advocate here uh, even though I'm totally on board but you know people would think oh that's like coaching you could go after work, so so why is it then in the company's interest to have this in house and foster this in in house? Um, do people then, cr- you know, cr- um, pick goals or set themselves goals that is related to the work? It can be also something else, and and what are these interlinks between themselves and their growth as a human, as a professional, but also then the development of of the organization as well.
0: Right, right, right. So, so to be clear, in the beginning, my my ambition, my aspiration was to help individuals. Because what I saw in my own 30 years working in big companies was this this tragic waste of potential, both individual potential, but also collective potential, right? Because we all fit in our boxes, we're kind of, at least the environments I worked in were weren't the kindest environments. And, and it, was, it was upsetting, I mean, people, it, people, people weren't happy. And that affected their work, it affected their life. So I wanted to make a dent in that problem. Now, why would companies care? Um, so why have Bosch and Daimler spread circles and integrated it into their onboarding program, for example? Um, Or why does BMW make it part of their diversity program or Siemens or ZF? These are some of the companies spreading circles. And the reason is this is what we're talking about is just a 21st century skill. It's a a skill everybody needs that says, I'm trying to accomplish something. Who inside or outside this company can help me? Who's got knowledge or resources or something that that can be useful to me? And then, well, how do I find them? How do I find them? How do I build some kind of connection, some kind of relationship that increases the chances of information exchange, cooperation, or collaboration? That everybody needs to do that in a company. Now, maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago, we didn't need it so much because we'd have a plan, we'd carve up instructions, we'd cascade it down the hierarchy, and if everybody just did what they were told, it would work. And that model worked beautifully for 100 years. And what each of these companies is recognizing, and I mean they really, they're not just talking about it, they really believe, uh, is oh, it's a VUCA world, it's much too volatile and fast paced that we cannot afford the time it takes to come up with a plan and carve up instructions because the things will have changed by then. So we need now, instead of people to wait for instructions, we need them to have a greater sense of agency. We need for them to act. To, if they've got an idea or a problem or something, that they can find the people that they need. They can tap into all the company knows to solve that problem and take a step and not wait for permission or being told what to do. That's why these companies want them to spread it. And it, it's typically... Uh, part of a a culture change program or innovation program or digital transformation program, or like I said, just onboarding new employees where it helps new people be more connected more quickly.
1: Well, listeners probably couldn't help but notice that some of the companies that you mentioned are very traditional German huge companies.
0: I love Germany, (laughs) I have to say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So what is it about this, this chemistry that happened then between John Stepper working out loud and big German companies. Um,
0: there's, there's nothing terribly German about what I do. I live and work in New York city. Um, but it was in 2015. Uh, I was still working at a big company. I'd written the book and I was on a conference call with a friend of mine in Germany at the, where I worked, um, and he, he, he invited some other people and one of those people worked at Bosch. Her name's Katarina Krentz. And as you know, behaviors spread through social networks. right So in, in, there's an old saying, you are the average of the five people closest to you right because and it's, it's well because it's true and there's plenty of science around the, the diffusion of behaviors through social networks. So Katarina, was one of the first people that like very early on, when the circle guides were, you know, version one. And she raised her hand, she says, I'll try it. Um, and she does an experiment. She tells me what worked and what didn't work. We get to know each other, we go to version two, she tries it some more, they spread. And then, so Katerina and Bosch were pioneers. And then they told their friends. So it was Katerina who introduced me to people at Daimler. And then it was Karina and Lucas at Daimler who then got connected with people from Audi and BMW and DHL and Continental and Siemens and so on. And, and now um, what's happened is that the German, we'll call them like the vanguard, if you will, of this working out loud movement, they told their colleagues in Sao Paulo, in Shanghai, in Bangkok, in Portland, and it spread to other countries that way.
1: Wow, this is giving me the goosebumps.
0: Yeah, me too. Because, yeah.
1: and it's amazing.
0: <laughs> well, well, you know, I, I, um, I, my own best example of how this method works. Uh, again, it's no trick or technique but about how this approach works, because I'm I'm just one person who was in a company that was being reorganized, and you're gonna get laid off. And so I have a choice, right? I could either just wait for the ax to fall, hand my two-page resume to a recruiter, and hope I get another job. And that's what most people do. But instead, I was working on some things that I found interesting. I made those visible. I purposefully tried to build relationships with people inside and outside my company and the day after I left my company, I was working with Bosch. Like, it, I, so it, it, it's no magic. It's I invested in a network. And you know, some of those people, we just, there's a give and take. And, it, and it, 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 may not, it may not result in anything other than some nice exchange. And in a few cases, it, it, it results in work, but I don't have to keep score. I don't, it's not a transaction when I offer something to people in my network, I can do it freely to person after person after person. And then naturally, because we're social animals, some of those will ha- also have a benefit to me, but it's, it's, it, it allows me to be authentic when I give something. And it also allows me to keep going because over time there'll be relationships that lead to opportunities I could not have imagined like this one.
1: Mm, excellent. No, I think it's, um, I, I really enjoy how you put it so succinctly. I think that maybe a lot of people have a an intuition about, but of course this is not taught in school. This is not taught anywhere. If anything, you know, a lot of people are told by their parents or by teachers, you know, keep your head down, don't stand out you got a good job make sure you know so it's um it's it's something i think that we all feel in a way you know to to give and give generously and serve and and even if you don't have an immediate agenda but but to create this kind of as you say meaningful relationships something where you can learn from something where you can give but but it's also a little bit not something that is explicitly encouraged by a lot of parents or by a lot of bosses or a lot of organizations that especially are based on fear, intimidation, power relationships. So, yeah,
0: You know, I had uh, one woman, uh, just to give you a range of examples, so one woman had reached out to her CEO, uh, it was a big company, and she said, hey, we're doing this thing uh, and, you know, you might be interested in it, right? What do you think the reaction was?
1: It's stupid.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's right. Who? What? what, You have to go through me. Right? You can't can't just reach out to somebody, to the CEO. Uh, Now, and she feels terrible, right? There's shame and status and all of that. Well, what happens? The CEO says, at first, he doesn't respond. um, But a few weeks later, he's like, hey, set up an appointment and they have a meeting. And, and now, now what happens? Oh, you've got a meeting with the CEO. <laughs> How did you do that? Right. How is that possible? And my, my point being two things. One is there's a, there's a kind of natural organizational resistance that comes, not because people are bad, not because management's bad, but it, it is, we are wired for hierarchy and status. It's, it's deep, deep, deep in our brands. And the org chart just brings that out in us. So so one in the workplace in particular, there's this natural resistance. But even in your own head, there is a resistance. It's fear of shame. What if they what if what if they think it's stupid? What if it's not helpful? What will they say? Right? Again, we that's that's deep in our heads. So what most people do, they're simply not comfortable. And that's human. So what I try and do is not to not to exhort people to to take some big leap or do something that feels strange or wrong. Instead, I break it down into small steps that they can practice in a safe, confidential space. If there's one kind of interesting or remarkable thing about working out loud is that in the workplace, we have somehow, and I say we as in the community, the movement, We have somehow managed in these big traditional companies to create a safe confidential space where you can work on yourself and build skills that are good for you and also good for the company. And that's why people like it and tell their friends.
1: Fantastic! So really, really inspiring listening to you. And and I mean, it happens so fast as well. I mean, I know that you have been working kind of behind the scenes on this for a long time, but but you know the book came out in 2015 it's only 2018 so really just congratulations because i think that you know it it's very impressive actually and you know for you to invest all this energy uh, into this i'm just
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm laughing i'm just thinking of my wife looking at me or my kids like really are you still working on this <laughs> um, <laughs> so so um on the one hand, I'm, um, I'm I'm grateful that that we've helped anybody, and yes, it's a miracle to be at Zoocon personnel in Cologne. It, it, so all of this verges on incredible for me personally, and yet we've just started, like we've just scratched the surface. So if we've got a few thousand people at Bosch that are in working at loud circles, hey, that's great. It's it's 0.5% of the company. I mean, so even in this, this great benchmark where it's, it's going really well and Katarina's there and she's doing fantastic work, we just started. So the next kind of challenge is, okay, how can we scale this? It's a good start. How can we scale it uh, so that it appeals to different people in different cultures in different kinds of work environments, so not just in the office, but people in manufacturing, people in hospitals, people in schools, at different stages of your life. If you're just coming out of university, you have no idea what you're going to do for a living. Versus you're in your 50s and you're in your you're, you're planning your next chapter. Right, and that's what I'm going to work on for the rest of my life is how can we reach and help more people get a little bit more from work and life, whatever more means for them.
1: So listeners, this is your call to action. Contact John and, and find out how you can get on board of this movement. So before we go to the last question, may I ask you, John, to tell listeners where they can find out more, where they can, you know, get more acquainted with the, with the method buy your book and get in touch with you?
0: Oh, thank you for that. The, uh, everything's at working out loud. Dot com and the guides are free. So so in 2018, if you have an idea that, that you don't buy ads and try and convince people in big companies to, to, to pay for something, instead you you make it available. and if it's useful to some people, then they'll tell their friends and so on. So if you go to workingoutloud.com, you'll find the circle guides. Um, they've been translated now into eight languages by volunteers, which is another extraordinary thing. Uh, and and you can start your own. You don't need permission. You don't need budget. You don't even need a book. Like This isn't about selling books. Uh, this is about helping people. And if you want to spread it in your company, great, I'll help you. If you don't and you just want to help yourself, great, I'll help you. Um, go to workingoutloud.com. You'll find the guides there. There are also... Uh, groups working out loud groups—they're private groups that you can join on LinkedIn and on Facebook—and there you'll find practitioners from around the world. So that's another way to find circle members or ask people for advice. And it—it it shows you in one community how you can build your network with just, "Hey, I'm interested in working out loud. What do you suggest?" And you'll—you'll you'll generate responses from people around the world.
1: Fantastic. Wow, it's really great to interviewing you and being at the cusp of this movement, you know, seeing it grow, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, coming to the last question, uh, unfortunately, the time is always too fast here.
0: That really, it, I thought we could just start it. I know,
1: <laughs> it's a time warp, this podcast. Yes. Um, if I would ask you to give just one advice to a CEO or any other C-level executive, to make their work environment, their, the workplace, a much better place for their people and to encourage all of these really important elements, I think that you, you know, these pillars of, of the Working Out Loud movement, what, what would be your advice? Where should they start?
0: Every company that I've worked with has a culture change program of some kind and that tells me that they recognize the need for some shift from uh, your classical kind of top-down, command-and-control way of operating an organization to something that is more network-based. Not chaos, necessarily, not anarchy, but where people have more agency, have to do more on their own. And what I would tell any management is that to make that shift, from what we've been doing for a hundred years to what's effective now in 2018, you're going to have to give people the space, the opportunity to experience it for themselves in a safe, confidential way because for all the reasons we just talked about, there's a resistance in the organization there's a resistance in people's head that this might not be right i might get in trouble my boss doesn't like it and so most of these culture change programs fail so please if you're in management and it doesn't have to be a working out loud circle it could be something else but you're going to have to give your people that chance to experience this new way of working for themselves until they have a set of habits and a mindset that make that new way of working the new normal
1: fantastic well thank you so much for sharing all of this wonderful insight and and really inspiring i would almost say fire and 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 oh. ambition you know to 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 bring this uh, as many people as possible so thank you very much john for taking the time and coming on the podcast and I'm really looking forward to meeting you in Cologne in September.
0: Same here. Thank you. You're a great interviewer and I I look forward to seeing you in Cologne.